So thank you again for having me here and thank you everyone for joining. Uh, it feels quite tender for me to, to be here. This is the first, first thing I'm doing here in the new year. I'm, I'm sort of still in vacation mode. We just, my family just, and I just got back from a little time off uh, and my mom is coming to visit tomorrow for the weekend. So uh, my heart feels very open and tender. So I wanted to share a little bit tonight um, about this theme of um, how our practice can be a resource in these uh, really challenging times. Um, I've been reflecting a lot just with the end of the year on where we are collectively, uh, 2024, almost a, almost a quarter of a century into the new century. Uh, and how much has changed uh, in the last, just even the last few years. I, I have a sense that perhaps many of you do as well, that um, 2020 was a kind of turning point, I think, for uh, hu the human civilization on the planet. Uh, the pandemic um, revealed our interconnectedness um, in ways that I think was not as clear or apparent to many. Even those of us who practice and understand or have insight into emptiness, interdependence, interconnection, um, on a spiritual level, on a heart level, on a philosophical level, um, to really see and experience directly how interdependent our lives actually are shifted something, I think, in our consciousness. And the events that have unfolded since then, um, here in the United States, around the world, uh, I think have really tipped us into a new phase, is my, my sense of things. George Floyd's murder was this kind of cultural and spiritual upheaval and a, a reckoning uh, with the forces of violence and racism here in the United States. Uh, the wildfires that happened in 2020, um, which brought climate change into uh, the, our view in a new way. This was the context within which I started writing my book. Uh, in 2020, and really looking at how can our meditation practice and the, the broader sense of the Buddha's teachings on living a meaningful life through contemplation, how can that be a meaningful resource with everything that's happening? Um, and then the last year or two, just the January 6th insurrection, the war in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East, um, and all of the news that's coming out about the climate of 2023 was the hottest year on record. If you look at the graphs, um, it's frightening. And you know, we see the effects happening uh, continually. And the ripple effects of the changes in our climate in terms of the refugee situation and the pressure on resources and economies. Uh, so my experience, both just personally and also as someone who gets to interact with a lot of people in my role, um, 
is that a lot of us are still kind of catching up emotionally, um, spiritually, psychologically with the world that we're living in today. And it feels like the rate of change is increasing rapidly. Um, and I know there are theories that point to the fact that every generation, right, has the experience of it feels like the world is ending. It's never been like this before. The change is happening more quickly. So it may be difficult to parse out how much is, is that just this iteration of that phenomena. Although the, um, the changes of uh, climate seem particularly unique in their uh, capacity to um, undermine the life support systems of the planet, many, in, in many ways similar to the threat of nuclear war, I think, in the previous generation. So given all of this that we're living through, uh, you know, what do what resources do we have to be, to bring to bear on all of this? And certainly our meditation practice is a huge one. We we know though that the path the Buddha taught is about so much more than formal meditation practice. Um, the whole noble eightfold path is a way of life. And I think that one thing that James and I have in common in terms of our teaching and, and our um, our passion, I'm catching up to you, James, where you've been, um, is, is giving sufficient attention to this factor of right effort, which within the context of meditation, particularly if you sit retreats or go to Dharma, uh, Dharma talks and Dharma groups, often gets talked about as you know not too tight not too loose just applying enough energy but actually right effort is about um how we are cultivating our hearts and our minds as james was saying earlier the talk he's giving at song alive this weekend and his whole work on awakening joy learning to change the channel learning that we have this capacity to choose where we place our attention and what we cultivate what we actively bring in and what we actively set aside um, so, uh, my book, uh, Your Heart Was Made for This, is an exploration of how do we shape our inner life? How do we train the heart? One of the analogies that the Buddha uses is that there are seeds in our consciousness. He kind of has this metaphor of the heart, the mind, um, as very fertile soil. And every thought, Every word, every action is like a seed. And that soil of the heart-mind is so fertile that whatever seeds we plant, they're going to grow. The challenge is that we don't exist in neutral conditions. The modern world and society is not a neutral field. So there are seeds being watered all of the time by the field around us. So if we don't take an active role in cultivating, tending, gardening uh, our own heart, the world is going to do that for us. Um, I see a lot of familiar names and faces here tonight, um, really touched to be together. And as some of you um, who know me, know that my wife and I had a child a little over a year ago. Um, our son is 15 months old now. And um, 
one of the things, particularly as he's kind of coming into awareness more and being more relational and learning so much, that's um, just remarkable to me is the purity with which we come into this world. Uh, and how malleable and impressionable our hearts are. With a, a child that young, you can kind of see the shaping happening. They're taking in everything so fully. Every experience is a learning interaction. There's millions of neural connections being formed every day. It's amazing. Uh, the rate of growth and change. And um, that process continues. The rate slows down as we grow, but that learning process continues. One of the analogies that I like to use, um, we come into this world, human beings, with the capacity to learn any language. Our neurology is primed to detect uh, the phonemes, the sounds of language around us, including pitch and tone, uh, as well as grammar. You can learn any language. In a similar way, our, and so what do we do with that capacity, right? Do we just learn one language? Are we able to, if we're exposed to it, learn two, sometimes three languages? Very easy when we're that young to absorb languages. Our heart is also endowed with these innate capacities to develop and grow these beautiful qualities. And some of them uh, seem to be present uh, in certain forms from the very beginning, qualities like, like joy or delight or generosity before language is even forming, the impulse to share food is, is right there and to take delight in that. Other capacities um, are dormant, but, but, but growing and available like equanimity. Newborns have zero equanimity. They are so raw, so reactive because everything is so overwhelming. But just to see even in the first six months or the first year, how the human organism adapts to it, its environment just on a purely on a pure level of sensation. How equanimity develops through experience, that capacity for non-reactivity. And then of course, the emotional equanimity is slower to develop. So what capacities are we nourishing? given that we have this range, this repertoire to grow and develop such beautiful qualities. So one of the central themes of Dharma practice and of really engaged on the ground Dharma practice is that we're always practicing something. We're always learning something, teaching ourselves something. So how do we go through our day? If we practice being impatient and rushed and frustrated, we get really good at being impatient and feeling rushed and being frustrated, finding fault in others, belittling ourselves. If we practice intentionally being patient, being kind, being generous, noticing beauty, taking delight, we get really good at being patient and kind and generous, taking delight and joy. So, this insight and this kind of training of our heart and our mind is one aspect of contemplative practice. And I think this is a kind of medicine 
for our modern times to really begin to heal some of the fragmentation, the alienation, the overwhelm, the heartache that is so endemic to our world, and also through developing these capacities, these qualities to empower us, to engage effectively and contribute our gifts. But as we begin to understand this process, what's available to us and, and how to engage with it, everything in our life starts to become a training ground for awakening and for building the world we want to live in. Because as we build inner resources, as we develop more inner resources, we increase our capacity to be with suffering and to serve. We, we have more and more moments where we become an island of sanity, an island of sanity in a sea of confusion, fear, pain, anger. This is the invitation of living a life of Dhamma, is to use this heart, this mind, this body to realize our potential to cultivate these incredible capacities and, and, then, and then live them, offer them. And the whole process begins, this is the last thing I'll share, and then I want to engage a little with James, um, who spent so many decades exploring this, um, and also then hear, hear from all of you and, and, and learn together. The whole process begins and, and continues and is sustained with how we pay attention. Our attention is a very valuable resource. It's a, it's a resource that has been monetized by technology and advertising and persuasive design. And it's a resource that we can reclaim and have more agency over. When we're aware, every moment we have a choice about where we're placing our attention. What are we attending to? So this is directed by our intention what's important to us, how are we orienting? Are we being driven by, by greed, by fear, by reactivity? Are we being driven by interest, curiosity, kindness, compassion? And then those intentions help us to notice what aspects of this experience of being alive and embody, embodied are we attending to? So externally, who am I spending time with? What activities am I engaging with? What am I consuming? There's so many ways to renew ourselves without reaching for a device or feeding an addiction. Looking at a tree, taking a walk, art, music, exercise, poetry, dance, learning, spending time with friends. Internally, how are we living? Where are we placing our attention? Are we focusing on all of our faults or nursing resentments, replaying regrets, worrying about the future? Or internally, are we able to use this capacity to be conscious and aware to start to nourish the healthy, beautiful seeds in consciousness, to appreciate our blessings, to focus on gratitude, to connect with joy, not because we're avoiding the pain and suffering in our lives and in the world, but because we, we truly recognize and understand 
that to engage with that in an honest and a useful way, we need some buoyancy. We need some lightness. We need, we need an inner ground. So this process of, of cultivating, training the heart um, allows us to meet the challenges we're living through with awareness to develop relationship with what's happening and then to respond more, more appropriately, more wisely. So there's so much more I could say um, about this process and the different qualities and um, some of the things I share in the book, but I, I think I want to stop here so that there's more time for conversation and, and engagement, which uh, I tend to enjoy more and I, I feel is often richer. So thank you for your kind attention thus far. Mm -hmm. And uh, how's all that landing with you, James? What's what's on your mind or in your heart? Yeah, I, um, I'm right with you. And, um, and it is all about habits. And uh, it, it seems, you know, what what seeds that you uh, that you water, and um, wondering what you have to say um, to people who see that there's a way to greater well being, mm -hmm. and uh, have a, a strong um, desire to uh, to cultivate, but the habits have been so strong mm -hmm. that uh, even even though they wish mm -hmm. they could be cultivating in a greater uh, towards greater ease and peace and love and mm. the things that you you mentioned, um, yeah. there's a a frustration at um, mm. how hard it is and uh, a discouragement at you know who am i kidding will you know will i ever yeah. overcome all of these habits that i've cultivated over a lifetime mm. if have something to say about that yeah thanks thanks james i mean i can certainly relate i think we all can <laughs> and to um to just broaden the question a little it's you know they're internal obstacles all of the habits, the frustration, trauma that you're pointing to. And then there's all of the external challenges, right? Of not having downtime, working to working two or three jobs, or um, you know, taking care of parents or children, or so um I think we face those kind of obstacles and challenges internally and externally. Um I think for me. In, in both regards, um, some of the places that I draw support from and would offer um, there's kind of a few. One, one is aspiration. Um, I just, I find that it's so essential to have a sense of one's North Star and to, to really keep attending to and nourishing the point that you started with of just the sense of what's possible, right? It's like the Buddha said, if this weren't possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. 
-hmm. it's because it's possible that I that I'm saying like cultivate the good, the beautiful, let it inform your life. Um, and I think we need that. We need to hold uh, fast to our vision. We talk a lot about letting go in this practice, but there's certain things that we want to hold on to. We want to really connect with and strengthen. And that sense of our vision of what's possible, I think, is really important. You know, the first World Social Forum, um, I think it was in the 80s, just that very simple phrase, another world is possible. Like four words, asper collective aspiration. I have a dream, Dr. King's speech, si se puede. It's like that sense of what are we heading towards is so important for us, whether we're looking at personal transformation or social transformation. Um, so that's one, and, and that it brings energy. It can bring energy personally. It can bring energy collectively. It can galvanize uh, a whole people, right? When we have a sense of where we're headed and what, what, we, what we long for. So that's, that for me is really essential. It's why it's the second chapter in my book. The first is attention. The second is aspiration. It's why the Buddha put it at the beginning of the, the five powers, the five spiritual faculties, right? Sadha, faith, aspiration. So there's that. Um, I think another, um, there's maybe two or three more. So, and I'm, I'll try to be concise. So we have time for more exploration. I think another is, is not underestimating the power of small moments. I think we can get into a very kind of mechanistic linear mindset about healing and transformation. Well, I have 50 or 60 years of conditioning and so many years of trauma and only this much time to meditate and how will I ever? And it's not a linear process. And thank God. So, you know, just one moment, like Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, a moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. One moment of gratitude such a powerful seed because as we know like one seed can grow a tree that can produce thousands of seeds so you know you're overwhelmed and i can't meet rent and i might lose my job and i'm on the bus and instead of pulling out the phone like to just close the eyes and rest for a moment like that moment of rest has infinite potential to transform us. This is another thing that I take a lot of um, refuge and, and uh, encouragement from. Um, and then two more things I'll just mention briefly. One is just compassion and forgiveness for ourselves. Like we're all doing the best we can. And I think the more tender we can be with ourselves, the more enjoyable the process is. Um, and then and then connecting, reaching out, not doing it alone as much as possible, having that support from others, the encouragement of others, others reflecting back our good qualities to us, all of all of those things are essential. And I know for myself that some of the hardest times I've had in my life, whether it's being ill or feeling lonely or lost, it's other people that, <laughs> that have shown up and, you know, amazingly been able to be there, say something, offer encouragement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and all of those, I, I, I really 
appreciate your naming all of those and uh, the power of of good friends and um, and of compassion and uh, and just want to if it's okay to go one absolutely one please step yeah, further um, one of the most mm, challenging uh, aspects of practice sometimes is when you have all of these supports and you're practicing self-compassion, you know, but there you are. I remember giving a talk um, ages ago. I know I'm stuck and I still can't get out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you have the support, you have you know, practicing, you know, to some extent, self-compassion and, and these things. And the habits are so strong that, there's yeah. this sense of discouragement. Who was I kidding? Um, and uh, yeah, those moments where where you can land and really let them in, you know, I, I agree, are really profound. But how to, if I can go one step further, just how yeah. to deal with that discouragement of how how deeply ingrained the habits are. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, here we are at, at the beginning of the year where yeah. New Year's resolutions are, you know, what everybody tries to, to do. And um, it, it takes a, a special kind of mind and heart and intention to, to really shift and, and make, a, make a change. And I'm just wondering if you could say any other words about that changing yeah. of habits uh, that don't serve us, even Absolutely. when we know better. Yeah. Yeah, and don't we all? Um, Thank you. I think for me, what's been helpful, or two things that have been helpful. um, One is patience. Um, There's a reason that the Buddha said patience is the highest virtue. You know, everything ends. So even it's like when we're stuck in whatever that habit is, or we find ourselves, you know, needing to renew the resolution once again for the umpteenth time. It's like just the sense of patience of like, this is not permanent. This is not forever. However tenacious this habit feels, just that sense of patience and trust and impermanence of the patience to allow ourselves and allow the um, knotted habits in the heart to have space and time. It takes time mm-hmm. for these habits to shift. Um, patience. There's And there's a certain connected to that, you know, the there's a certain sur- quality of surrender, I think, that comes Um, There's that beautiful Rumi poem that ends, you know, at last spring has come and I have no will left. Like will can only take us so far. There's a certain point at which we need to let go and surrender, even to the sense of like, I can't do this. And that's not a defeat. It's not a giving up. It's a, it's a, a kind of releasing into grace. Like I, it's okay. There's, a, that's, there's an aspect of patience and also renunciation that includes that kind of surrender. Um, 
And then the other aspect is there's something I think powerful and important about um, developing respect for what we call in, in Buddhism, the kalesa, the harmful habits of, of our heart and mind. They're so tenacious. They're so powerful. Mm-hmm. And when we're stuck in some habit and we feel discouraged and I can't do it, instead of focusing on my failure, what if we look at the insight that's present? It's like, wow, look how hard this is. Here I am, clear, with good intentions, with resources, with teachings, like whatever the conditions are, and it's still so hard. How did the Buddha get free? It's so amazing. Wow, I've got my work cut out for me. You know, if we're engaging with, if you, if you use a metaphor of, um, when I was a kid, I spent a few years at summer camp wrestling. I'm not a big sportsman, but... I, I wrestled a little bit and um, you need to feel your opponent. You need to have a sense of how strong are they? How quick are they? How much do they weigh in relation to me? So we make a new year's resolution. We're like, I'm going to do this. And, you know, after a week or two, you're like, Oh, like this is going to be harder than I thought. That's really important information. So, the failures are actually, you know, if we if we see if we're seeing them that way as failures, they're really useful information about the strength of our opponent. If we're going to use that kind of a um, a battle metaphor for mm-hmm. the for the defilements and the negative habits, the harmful habits in our mind, so we develop respect and we also learn from that discouragement what we're really up against and that can then feed into energy aspiration patience all of the wholesome qualities that are there to support us i think it's also essential to not take any of it personally (laughs) right to really just recognize like these are just different forces playing out and just moment by moment the more i can feed the healthy ones they're going to do the work Mm -hmm. yeah that, that is a key not to take it personally and you're reminding me of um a line I love by Pema Chodron, uh, who says, uh, take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha. Mm. Instead of being discouraged at, oh, there's so much suffering here or so much confusion. Oh, there's an awareness that's seeing it. And if you mm. focus on that, rather than the, the pothole that you just fell in again, Oh, it's like the Buddha saying, oh, I see you, Mara. And if you can feel uplifted by the fact that you're seeing it, even though you're in, in the hole, uh, there's, that's the, the first step out. So, well, and one more thing, and then I'll just, uh, and then we can open up to everyone. Your, your book has lots of practices mm. about, um, yeah, oh, opening up to the hard stuff and you know what your heart was made for this and its practices to cultivate uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about about that um, sure yeah absolutely um and at the risk of of i don't know 
being a little geeky or, or too self-promote self-promotion. Oh, I know it. a lot of folks have the book already, folks who follow me, it. but I just I love the cover. I love how it came out so much. It's so pretty, this beautiful rainbow. Beautiful. Um yeah, so each um each chapter focuses on uh healthy quality or capacity. Um many of the ones we've been mentioning, like joy, patience, renunciation, mindfulness, energy, aspiration, other things like rest, ease, play. Um, and then each chapter ends with uh, a reflection. So something to kind of chew on or think about a meditation and then an action, something that you can do, some way to embody this or explore embodying it in your life. And then there's a section on um, difficulties, so common challenges that arise and tips for how to in, how to engage with those. And the idea, each chapter is relatively short, 10, 12 pages. The idea is that you can read it in an evening or two um, and then take some time with it, take a week or more um, to just practice with the quality and see where it shows up in your life and what the effect is. Um, so my hope is that it can be a very kind of practical companion for people in their life. And each chapter stands on its own. So it can be kind of a fun choose your own adventure where you say, okay, like, what do I need this week? Mm. And you can look through the table of contents. Of course, it has its own arc and its own structure as well, but it doesn't doesn't need to be used, used that way. And I, my, my hope is also because these are such universal qualities like forgiveness or compassion is that, um, courses, other fields, groups that are looking at a particular um, quality might be able to just like pull a chapter uh, and read it as, um, as a reference point or a way of having discussion or exploring these aspects of, of what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Um, so thank you for James was one of the people who read a few of the chapters in their early draft and offered some very useful feedback that affected the whole book in terms of some of the things you pointed to. So I thank you for that as well, James. Yeah. That I could be, be part of a, a beautiful product. Uh, well, so we can open it up now to, um, to questions and yeah, uh, if you, if you want, there's the reaction box at the very, at the bottom of your screen. And if you hit on that icon uh, at the bottom of the, all the icon selections, there's a raise hand, and then uh, can see can see you and uh, and bring you up to the the front. And here's Liz Weiner, uh, a good friend, an old friend. Yes, and, haven't uh, seen you, haven't seen you, James, for many many years. Yeah. When I so, when I, I came mean, from living in the monastery in Nova Scotia, you were the first Buddhist teacher I met when I came down 25 oh. years ago. Um, I just want to thank both of you. Our teachers are enormously important, just enormously important. Um, you you are guides for us. You are examples. Your devotion is so inspiring and I'm so thankful to you. Um, this is a journey. I'm 84 now, horrors. Uh, how did that happen? And uh, <laughs> I met James when I was, I think, 65. And um, it's, 
I'm experiencing an enormous amount of fruition and I feel so grateful. And it's so surprising in many ways. Uh, but I've, I've, I've put my energy into it for over 25 years. There is fruition if one sticks with it. Um, and we need your example. Like, was it Thich Nhat Hanh in the boat who said, as long as there's one person in the boat, you, you know that one, maybe you can elucidate that a little better. Um, but we need your examples of generosity and kindness. Also, I love the concept, which I recently learned of, of common humanity, that we all feel mostly the same things to some degree or other. We're all on path together, and it is a journey. It's a lifetime journey. Thank you, Liz. Thank, Thank you. you for being here, both of you. Um, okay, so thank you for that. And uh, how about uh, Jude uh, Pollock? Uh, I can ask you to unmute, and I'll bring you up on the, whoops. Hi. Um I was actually just trying to write the heart and the hand raised. So I just oh. want to say hi and thank you so much to both of you. <laughs> okay. Good to hear from you, Jude. Uh, how about, uh, let's see, Suzanne, and I'll ask to unmute. There you go. Hi. Hi. Um, I think it was a really good evening for me to come here because I've been thinking a lot about. Um, our capacity to stay in tenderness mm. when um, either eternally things are going on and and also externally. And mm. sometimes I, I, I wonder about um, like, what is our capacity? Because, you know, um, just even genetically that, you know, now because of the internet and just having access to things that are going on throughout the world as well as originally in the past it'd be our nuclear families or our communities yeah. and trying to cope with that as an individual yeah. in that and but now we have um mapped onto it that sure. um the whole world and how to um, just how to stay in a tender and mm. um, loving place mm. and, and not numb out because yeah. I'm at full capacity or I right. can't do something. Yeah. And um, so it's just, it's just something that I've been um, trying to figure out how yeah. to, to balance Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Suzanne. I think it's a challenge probably most of most of us are going through um, today. And and it's, you know, just to kind of add to what you're saying, it's I don't think it's just the fact that um, we have access to kind of global information. It's also that that information is being filtered in a very specific way. And they're different filters, of course, but we're not hearing about all of the generosity and all of the love and all of the compassion and all of the goodness that's happening around the world every day in communities everywhere. 
right? We're hearing about the violence and the horror and the tragedy. And so, you know, and that's quite being quite specifically and intentionally filtered for various reasons. So it, it's, I think it's, there are these levels of challenge in um, how much information we have access to. Um, it's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have a conscious practice around how, when, and why we consume the news mm. and to really bring our practice into that. And, you know, there's the extremes. We know this is the middle path. So there's the extreme of those who say, I don't look at the news because there's nothing I can do about it and, and completely cut off, which has its benefits, but also its limitations, liabilities, and, um, you know, some kind of detrimental consequences. And then there's the other extreme, right, of being totally absorbed and addicted. Uh, and we might go back and forth <laughs> between the two. Um, so one of the things that I, I talk about in the book, um, and there's many good tips out there. I mean, if you just kind of even Google, like, how to read the news mindfully. <laughs> There's some good articles that come up, including one that I wrote on my website. But I think one of the most um, essential things to add to the conversation of all of the good tips that are out there about setting limits and being mindful and feeling your body and is knowing your purpose. Why? Why are we looking at the news? What mm -hmm. What is our motivation and what is our purpose? How much is, you know, how much is enough? We don't know how much is enough if we don't know what our purpose is. Mm -hmm. Are there particular issues that we're following? And if so, why? You know, when we have a reason and, and we're engaged, then the news takes on a different meaning because we're there for a reason. And when we get the information we need, we know that it's enough. So if there's an issue that you're following and engaged with, like homelessness or or the climate or racial justice, or you focus and you get and you get information to inform you about that so that you can respond and engage in a different way. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's just this kind of pervasive sense of not knowing or I need to keep up or then it's very difficult to make more conscious choices about when is enough and how much and why. So I think this is one of the things that I, I find very helpful for myself is knowing like, what are the things I'm focusing on and why? And, you know, in terms of having a sense of what's happening generally so that, you know, I'm informed and, you know, know what's affecting people's consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. And then all of the other things that we practice and teach, of course, right, in terms of equanimity and compassion and finding joy to nourish us, all of all of those come into play as well. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Yeah. Thanks. Let's see. Any um anyone else have something that they want to ask or share? You want to raise your hand? Or you could type something in the chat as well. We probably have time for one more uh, question or comment. And if not, I have 
something to explore. I just want to give people a chance. Anything you want to step up to the to the screen. Okay, well then, uh, out, oh, here's, here's someone, Google. Okay, so Steve's just sharing um, source for good news. Good news, nice news for uplifting stories. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, okay, Ellen, um, I see you, and I'll just uh, first add your spotlight and then uh, ask you to unmute. And see, there you go. Whoops. Uh, wait, do it one more time. There you go. Hi, thank you so much for having this, this uh, opportunity. Um, I, my sister lives in Israel and my, my nephew is, um, his birthday is today and he is in the Israel Defense Force. Um, mm. um, was called to duty after serving, um, for four years. Um, so, and my sister had been visiting here in September and returned to Israel after 18 days um, on October 4th and then on the 7th, we know what happened. Um, mm. So what happens when you're just really scared and your heart is breaking for what's happening mm. um, with the Israelis, with the Palestinians, with, with all the misinformation, how the global mm community has turned against Israel, against Jews um, on campus. My, my son's at Cornell, um, which has mm -hmm. a lot of anti-Semitism going on. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how, how um, I'm trying to stay open-hearted, have hope mm -hmm. and faith, and um, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just breaking. And I know you say my, your heart is made for this, but I just yeah. don't know. Thank yeah. you for listening. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing your tenderness with us and your heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah, there are things that happen in our lives, in our world, where we say, my heart wasn't made for this. And there's there's a truth in that, you know, and I think being real about that is, is essential and is uh, kind of the only way forward. I think it's important to, um, when we have the privilege to take care of ourselves, to do that. You know, when we're not in an active war zone and have the safe, the relative safety to take a walk in the park or, I don't know, take a hot bath. But it, it's essential to nourish ourselves and take care of ourselves when we're experiencing heartbreak, whether it's heartbreak over um, these kinds of larger forces like war and um, hatred, whether it's hatred of Jews or hatred of Muslims or hatred of Arabs or Palestinians or the dehumanization that is somehow embedded in our sort of tribal inheritance as animals, um, 
we can't, I don't think we can. be part of the the healing that's called for if we're not also taking care of ourselves so it's a it's a both and i know you know this yeah um but taking care of your pain is essential the, the story that um liz was referring to uh was uh, one that Thich Nhat Hanh tells about refugees from Vietnam fleeing in boats uh, in the Gulf of Siam and how um, many of them uh, would capsize and die as we, you know, we see today happening from North Africa to Europe, a similar situation. And he is saying that, you know, even one person who's calm and lucid can save many lives because they know what to do and, and people listen to them. And then he says, our world is like a small boat. No one knows when the bombs are going to go off. This was in the 80s when and um, the sort of nuclear arms race was at the forefront of everyone's consciousness. And, and he's saying either that when we're able to attend to our own fear and panic and pain and heartbreak and overwhelm, we can actually show up. You know, and with, you know, somebody asked in the chat, like, why even look at the news if there's nothing I can do about it? I think we have a duty. I think we have a duty to bear witness to what's happening. And to try to help, to try. You know, as a new friend and colleague of mine, Anya Kamenitz, who writes about climate change and children, you know, she she says, um, actually, it wasn't Anya, it was... Um, I'm forgetting her name right now, but it'll come. Another another local author here in the Bay Area was saying, you know, so, you know, if a boat is drowning and they say, like, well, I can't do anything. I'm just, you know, no, you, you try to save the people you can. You try to help in some way you can. So whether it's just learning and educating ourselves so that we have a little bit more perspective and understanding of a very... Um, intense, complicated history and can then listen with more empathy and compassion when others are inflamed or whether it's finding organizations that align with your values and donating to them or sending aid. There are many things that we can do and we need to look for those and find them because as, as James often says, action relieves anxiety, right? Whether we're thinking about climate, refugees, war, doing something helps us also yeah my mm -hmm. heart's with you and with mm -hmm. with everyone over there mm -hmm. on all sides who are suffering yeah i'm with you also ellen um, thank you i'm gonna add the, the spotlight and uh yeah i i couldn't agree more um, with with Oren as far as uh, nourishing ourselves, uh, even when it seems that you know the heart is breaking. That um, there's something healthy about remembering all the good in the world, along with our, our breaking heart. And and this is not a, a cop out, but it's a it's a 
if you aren't in the thick of things, uh, if you have a choice, not everybody has a choice, but um, to, um, to remember to nourish your heart so uh, you don't go under. And that's where good friends and things that uplift you uh, can help you be that much more there for, uh, for the sorrows. <clears throat> that's my last, uh, that's what I'll be talking actually on Sangha Live, uh, changing the opening, changing the channel, opening to goodness instead of being overwhelmed. So yes, we feel for you. Well, um, Oren, such a pleasure. I'm going to, uh, to to be with you and uh, and hear you share and um, yeah I highly recommend um, your new book your heart was made for this and the your first book uh, say what you mean um, and uh, yeah your clarity and good heart uh, really uh, are really good medicine for us all so. Um, so we can just end with a, a short uh, loving kindness, if that's okay. And uh, just want to thank you so much for, for being with us. Hope you come back. Thank you for having um, me. And thanks everyone for being here as well. So uh, we can uh, just look at the screen. In fact, I'll, I'll just take down the spotlights so uh, we can just look at each other. You can put it on gallery view and uh, for those who have their their video on, um, just look and wish each other well, and know that that energy is coming to you as well. So let it in as well as uh, sending it out. It's good to be with with good friends, with like-minded friends. And uh, from our, our virtual network here, um, just feeling how fortunate we are to meet on a Thursday evening and share the Dharma, hear some wisdom from a friend, and um, taking all of the goodness and the, the merit that we create here together and um, sharing it with with the world those who are suffering those who through their ignorance cause suffering those who are feeling well-being and those who bring more happiness into the world humans non-humans all life forms may all no inner peace. May all know real happiness. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere and the planet that needs our caring so much. Mm-hmm.